tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 339, and today we are talking about books coming in 2022 that we are excited about. I'm Liberty Hardy, here is Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Woohoo! Hey, it's us two weeks in a row. Yeah, it's a double feature. <laughs> also, I think I say recommendations differently in the intro now. I think I put like the emphasis on a different pl- like I don't know. I've said these words so many times. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> recommendations. Did I just say recommendations? Recommendations. Like, I don't know what I said. Recommendations. But we are here to talk about some books that we are excited about coming next year. I read all of the books I'm going to talk about. I had a very hard time picking. So as usual, I put a bunch of titles in a hat and picked eight because I just I want to talk about them all and I can't and it makes me feel bad. And so I have to like just leave it up to chance. So, but I got eight really good ones that I love. And I also did the cutoff at June because I was like, I just, I can't, I I can't, it's too many. So Yeah, I think a lot of mine are definitely in the beginning of the year. I'm looking through my list and it's like, oh, they're all maybe through like March or April. But I don't think I've read any of mine yet. So I still have them to look forward to. Well, that's exciting too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about enthusiasm here. <laughs> you know, it's true. You know, it's just what we're excited to read. And I just happen to have read these. So, um, and also the thing is that like, it's November, but you would be surprised how few publishers have filled out the rest of next year yet. You know, like they're getting into August now. They have a lot of their August titles up, but there's a lot of space there after August to be filled in still. So yeah, and I'm also getting a number of emails about pub dates moving as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that the the great shuffle is also happening. Oh, yeah. There is a very good chance that most of these <laughs> will not be out on the days that we are <laughs> claiming they will be out as we record this today. On this very beautiful day in Maine, I don't know how it is in California right now, but... It's actually gorgeous. Wow. Well, that's good to hear. The sun is shining. The sky is blue. We're I think working it's, on it's very probably little a little, it's probably <laughs> very little sleep. Oh my gosh, so little sleep. It's probably a little chilly, but I like the chill. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty warm here. It's like 55 or 60. But yes, neither one of us really slept last night. Even though you were hearing this a week from the last time we recorded together, we were actually recording this about 14 hours since the last time we recorded together. <laughs> In between which neither one of us slept, so I cannot yeah. speak for Patricia, but I have had two 16-ounce Red Bulls, and so who even knows what's going to happen? You might just hear, like, a big explosion, and that will be my head just... <laughs> <laughs> sleep is for <laughs> fools. 
yeah, uh, no, I definitely had coffee. Uh, yeah, I slept like garbage last night. And then I am a person who is slow to wake up. We're recording during morning time in California right now. And so I needed to like talk and work the frogs out of my voice. So <laughs> I just started meowing earlier. And my wife was like, oh, God. And then uh, she's like, do you have a picture book you could read to me or something? So I read her Go Dog Go. And (laughs) she had forgotten about the part. I was like, yeah, there's the dog. And she's like, do you like my hat? And he's hecka rude. And he's just like, no, I don't like your hat. And she's looking at me like I am bananas. So I read that to her. And she's like, why is he so mean? He is mean. (laughs) Super rude. But when you're little, you don't realize that. I know. She's just like seeking validation. And he's like, no. I'm like, you could, if someone says, like, do you like my hat? You could just be like, wow, that's quite a hat. Like, yeah. Something. It's true. Something. That jerk. (laughs) All right. So before we get started talking about the books that we're excited about, I do want to mention mention a couple of things. Mental? Mention a couple of things. (laughs) One, we are still seeking an advertising sales manager at Book Riot. You can come work with Book Riot as an advertising sales manager. If you like books and comics, if you like helping advertisers who want to reach an enthusiastic community of book and comics lovers, this job may be for you, especially if you have prior sales or account management experience. And we are committed to building an inclusive workforce and strongly encourage applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. There's health, retirement, and 160 hours of annual PTO. Those are some of the benefits you can expect. To apply, visit bookriot.com join dash us and apply by December 5th of this year, 2021, if you are interested in the position. All right, and now, before we get to our books, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abuzaid, for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar-nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. 
But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out. And thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick today, I just happened to write these down in order of release because that's how I went through my calendar. It is a fabulous, delightful novel called Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? by Lizzie Damilola Blackburn. It comes out on January 18th. If you want something smart and funny and wonderful to read, then this book cannot come soon enough for you. It's a delightful Bridget Jones-ish kind of story about a woman named Yinka. She is an Oxford-educated British-Nigerian woman. She believes in true love, even if that means she has to wait a long time to find it. Like, she's not rushing into anything. She thinks true love is out there. Unfortunately, her meddling mother and aunties don't think it's happening fast enough for her. They're, like, embarrassed that Yinka isn't married yet. And now Yinka's sister is having a baby, and her cousin just got engaged, and it's really turning the heat up on Yinka. Her mother and aunties and her her whole family are like, when are you going to meet a man? When are you going to meet a man? And they literally pray that she finds a husband, and it's just so frustrating for her. And they make her feel bad about herself, and she doesn't like it. She is happy in her life. She has her career, and she has her freedom. You know, she'd like to meet somebody, but, you know, it's not important. She just got out of a relationship recently, and her heart is still bruised from that. And she, she's not super excited about her family trying to set her up with strangers. They're trying to find her a date now for her cousin's upcoming wedding. And then she finds out that her ex who broke her heart is going to be there. So she decides the best way to go about finding a date for this wedding is a spreadsheet. <laughs> but life has ways of surprising you even when you have it all planned out. So this is just, it's so utterly charming. And it's got a big heart and it's very funny. I love the witty banter, especially between Yinka and her would-be suitors, and I love her best friend, Nana, and the book itself is actually has text messages and actual spreadsheets within the text, which are really cool. There's a lot of really funny, awkward mishaps, but there's also an important message about societal and cultural pressures and independence. Like, Yinka is awesome, as is, and whatever Yinka wants in life, we hope she gets it, because she's wonderful. This is Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? That's husband, H-U-Z-B-A-N-D, by Lizzie Damilola Blackburn. For my first pick of the day, I am excited for a book called Already Enough, A Path to Self-Acceptance by Lisa Oliveira. Lisa Oliveira is a therapist, a writer, and the creator of a really popular Instagram account that I have personally followed for a while. Her content is really good, and it always feels like her content is crafted with such tenderness and loving kindness. Lisa Oliveira was adopted as an infant and had convinced herself that her mother abandoned her because she, Oliveira, was in some way lacking, that she was somehow not enough. Eventually, she was able to work through this story she told herself with a therapist. In this book, she addresses how we all tell ourselves stories about maybe 
the ways we were raised or how things that happened to family members may have affected us. And we can often minimize exactly how affected we are by these things, um, whether they be something that happened to our parents or whether it be multi-generational trauma. She invites us on a journey toward healing and telling ourselves better stories, stories that reflect that we are and have always been enough. I am super looking forward to this book. Like I said, her Instagram is great and like everything she posts always seems right on time. This book is titled Already Enough, A Path to Self-Acceptance by Lisa Oliveira, and it's out on January 25th. All right. I just realized all of my books are fiction, and that's okay. You have some nice nonfiction to kind of balance it out, so. Absolutely. So it's a good, it's a good bunch. So my next pick is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum, which comes out on February 1st. It's a mystery about a black classical musician and his family heirloom, which is stolen before a big performance. Ray McMillan is from the South. He has worked hard his whole life to become a classical violinist, which is not easy for a black person trying to break into the classical music world. It's very racist and very exclusive. And he has been playing his great-great-grandfather's violin for many years. And shortly before a very important competition, he discovers that this beat-up violin that he's been playing is actually a Stradivarius, which is, like, an almost priceless instrument, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. And so right before this international competition called the the Tchaikovsky Competition, his violin is stolen, and a ransom note for $5 million is left in its place. And it becomes this battle between Ray's family and the descendants of the man who once enslaved Ray's great-grandfather for ownership of this violin. They're fighting over who owns it, even though nobody knows where it is right now. And the mystery is, like, who has it and who is going to get it and what's going to happen. It's excellent! I did not know that I wanted a mystery-slash-thriller set in the world of classical music, but I recently read... Uh, one of the Agent Pendergast books. I've been going through that series by uh, Preston and Child. And in it, they were talking about Stradivarius and his violins. And I was completely fascinated. Like, I'd always heard, like, Stradivarius violin, but I did not know anything about him. Uh, so much so that I went and bought a book about him, which I have not read yet and probably will not get to. But the little that I picked up is it, from looking at the internet is that um, Antonio Stradivari was an Italian craftsman who made instruments in the mid-17th uh, century, and they were considered the most amazing violins of all time. And there are only about 600... He made a little over a 1,000. There are only about 650 surviving left in the world, and most of those are owned by private collectors. You do see, like, famous violinists are spo- kind of sponsored by someone who owns one. They'll, like, lend it to that violinist you hear like there's a couple stories you know over the years of like them leaving their violins in the back of cabs and like on subways and stuff and it's like these like priceless violins which is very interesting but if the novel that i read that talked about these violins is to be believed they said that no one knows how he made such excellent violins because in order to find out what he used like the resin and all the stuff that he used for them you would have to destroy one to find out and nobody wants to do that which i think is so interesting which is what compelled me to like pick up this book and and maybe maybe i'll read it but 
I'm just all excited about these violins, and I'm excited about this book. It is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Ooh, that sounds really good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, for my next book, I have The Kindred by Alicia Dow. We don't have too long to wait for this one, and for that, I am super grateful. I really enjoyed The Sound of Stars, and I've been looking forward to more by Alicia Dow. This book has so many things going on. It's described as a royal, romantic, sci-fi fantasy adventure with a forbidden love trope as well as a murder mystery? What? I'm fascinated by the idea of this, and I can't wait to see how it all comes together. So, the premise. In order to make sure that everyone in this galactic kingdom is heard, no matter their status, kindred mind pairings are made. This ends up in a particularly interesting pairing between a lowly commoner, Joy Abara, and the nobility's most infamous playboy, Duke Felix Hamdi. Then the royal family is assassinated, like everyone aside from Felix, and this puts Felix next in line for the throne and also accused of the murders. Mind you, Joy and Felix are kindred mind pairings, but they have never met in, like, in person, and maybe they aren't supposed to. Like I said, there's a lot going on, and I'm really excited to get lost in this book. This is The Kindred by Alicia Dow, and it's out on January 4th. Which is not that far away. No. It really, it really is not. So my next pick is Memphis by Tara Stringfellow. It comes out on March 1st. I am going to do a terrible job talking about this book because it broke my heart into a million pieces and it's so amazing and I'm still not done like processing everything because it's a lot. It's so, so good though. But, you know, be ready because it is going to break your heart. The focus of this novel is three generations of black women in a Southern family. They live in Memphis. The book is told over 70 years. It's about these women in this family uh, with a young woman named Joan at the center of the narration. She's a young girl at the beginning of the book. uh, And it goes back and forth through time. Um, When Joan is young, her mother flees Joan's abusive father with her younger sister. They wind up back at her mother's ancestral home in Memphis, living with her mother's sister and her son. And each of them, each of the women in this family has a trauma that they are dealing with and they learn to trust and depend on each other and the other women in their neighborhood. There are a lot of very amazing, strong women in their neighborhood. The the aunt has a hairdressing salon and they all gather and talk. And one of the women uh, in the neighborhood uh, is good with curses. She's She's got some curses that she can work. Uh, and it's it's fantastic. It, it, we learn about Joan's ancestors uh, and their hopes and hardships. It's set against all kinds of of history, the segregated South, uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King, right up through 9-11. It is astounding, but it is a gut punch to the heart. I mean, I was just like, oh, but all of the characters are so real and the story unfolds perfectly. They have such hopes and dreams in the face of impossibilities and they make mistakes and they try again and you can't help but root for them. Like I said, I, I'm not doing this novel justice. It's beautiful. It's one of the most remarkable debuts I've ever read. It is Memphis by Tara Stringfellow. 
I'm just adding every book you're talking about. <laughs> it's to my so TBR. excellent. So excellent. I'm, oh I'm going to make a prediction. I don't do these very often anymore because I'm so bad at doing it. I used to be great at them, and now, like, they never come true. But I'm calling Oprah Book for this one. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. My next book is titled The Black Agenda, Bold Solutions for a Broken System, edited by Anna Gifty Opoku Agyemen. I am really excited for this book because there's not really anything like it. It's a collection bringing together leading Black scholars and experts for a policy-oriented approach to the fight for racial justice in America. There are so many books already out there that help us learn about systemic racism and how to talk about it and maybe even how to be better as individuals. But like I said, this problem is systemic and the way to address systems is with policy. No single one of us individually is going to fix white supremacy, just like no single one of us recycling plastic is going to solve climate change. The essays in this book cover ideas about economics, education, health, climate, mental health, artificial intelligence, the future of work, the LGBTQ plus community, the criminal legal system, technology, and so much more. We know there are problems, but now what? This book has a foreword by Tressie McMillan Cottom, who is amazing and a really phenomenal lineup of contributors. I'm super excited for The Black Agenda, Bold Solutions for a Broken System, edited by Anna Gifty Opoku Agaman, and it is out February 1st. Okay, my next pick is a highly anticipated novel, Secret Identity by Alex Segura comes out on March 15th, and it's set in the 1970s in the comic world. It's about a young woman named Carmen Valdez. She is so excited because she has received a position as an assistant at Triumph Comics, which is, like, pretty close to Marvel and DC, but not quite. She gets to help work on things, but she really wants to write her own superhero comic. And she nearly gets that chance when one of the Triumph writers realizes that she has this amazing talent. He asks to see her ideas, and together they create this new character called the Lethal Lynx. It's Triumph's first female superhero. But he doesn't tell his boss that she was in on the project, and then he is murdered. And all of a sudden, the scripts that he turned in are being made into comics. They don't have her name on them. The comic is taking off, it's becoming very popular, and she's like, what do I do here? Like, now, you know, do I say, like, hey, I worked on this too, because who's going to believe me? But, like, other things are going on, and then this cop shows up, and he's asking Carmen some questions about the secret that she has, and she's trying to figure out, like, what happened to this writer, and also, like, what is she going to do about the links? It's excellent! It's very excellent. It, I mean, it's a mystery, it's a thriller. Uh, Carmen is a fantastic character, and what I did not get to see in reading an e-galley is that there are actually comic pages with the lethal links within the novel itself. So I look forward to picking up a finished copy and seeing those for myself. Um, I think that's really cool. You know, they use the actual, like, have actual artwork of the comic that they're working on. It's excellent. It is Secret Identity by Alex Segura. That 
sounds really fun. And I love when a book of prose features like some of the comic. I think the last book I read like that was I Kissed Alice. I can't remember the the author, but it was just like, oh, they're working on a webcomic and then it has like comic pictures. Yeah, it really helps to show your readers like what you're what you're talking about. It's like a nice little treat. That's a Anna Birch and Victoria Ying. Oh, yes. Thank you. So my next pick is Goliath by Tochi Onibuchi. This is the next book out by the multi-award winning author of Riot Baby and War Girls and many other works of both fiction and nonfiction. I do not know this author personally, but I was at Firecon this year and Tochi Onibuchi won three Ignite Awards and he just seems like an absolute delight of a person. Goliath is dystopian near future. It's the 2050s and Earth is emptying out. Those who are able, e.g. have the privilege and means, are leaving Earth and taking up residence in comfy little space colonies. Those who are left behind are doing what they can with what they are left, but even that is being cannibalized by the folks leaving Earth, just like taking what they want and not caring about what is left and for whom. Everything I keep seeing about this book says it's biblically inspired, and I'm gonna make some conjectures here. I imagine specifically it's Noah's Ark inspired, but I haven't read it yet, so don't quote me on that. But it's it's coming up on my TBR. It's filled with many unique characters, and this book is an exploration of race, class, gentrification, and who is allowed to be the hero of any history. I am really looking forward to Goliath by Toshi Onibuchi, and it comes out on January 25th. Okay, so I can tell you a couple of things. One, I've met Toshi a couple of times, and he is indeed as delightful as you would imagine. (laughs) Just all smiles and just amazing all the time. And also, I have read this book. It's excellent, but as a heathen, I can neither confirm nor deny the biblical inspiration or references because I need those things explained to me because I don't usually pick up on them. But it's multi-layered and it's just incredible. I mean, this is his first like novel. He's written several YA novels. He's written several novellas, but this is his first, they call it, it's so weird when people have all these books out and then they're like, this is their debut novel, but that's what this is. And it is excellent. So, and that works out well because my next book is also about a world where people are trying to get off of Earth because the Earth sucks. It is A House Between (laughs) Earth and the Moon by Rebecca Sherm, and it comes out on March 9th, no, excuse me, March 29th, and this book has so, like, I could talk about this book for two hours and still not just even explain everything about the plot, which makes it sound complicated, but it's not. There's just so much going on, and it's all amazing. I loved this novel. It's so fantastic. So, like... We have the Earth, it's the future, and the Earth is really bad off, which is not hard to imagine at all, right? Because, like, climate change just ruins the planet. The temperature of the planet, in general, is, like, much, much higher on average. It's raging out of control. Heat is killing people by the thousands in places all over the world. Fires, there's fires everywhere. There's just massive death all the time. And it's horrible. And there is a scientist, Alex Welch-Peters, 
who has figured out a way to, or has been trying to figure out a way to create a strain of algae that will eat up carbon emissions and reverse climate change. Like, it's an actual thing that that might work. And he's been working on it for many, 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 many years, and he's so close to a solution, but his passion for his work has cost him his marriage. He's married, he has two daughters, and his wife is, is tired of him never being around, you know, because he's always like, one more, you know, if I just try, like, a little bit longer, he's been doing this for years. So he and his wife have split up, and now Alex has been hired by a company called Census. Census is like Apple. Like, imagine Census is Apple, right? So Census is building a space station for billionaires, basically billionaires who have invested heavily in the space station so that they can leave the hellscape that is Earth. They're going to be like the first people to get off the planet. And she has hired Alex to uh, work in this space station called Parallaxis and work on his algae project from up in space. But the problem with Parallaxis is apparent right away when he and some other scientists and some other astronauts get there. Uh, it's not even done being built. Like, they have to finish building this space station, which they are doing with a 3D printer, which is amazing, before they can even work on it. And now, meanwhile, back at home, Alex's family are dealing with their own problems. Technology has advanced to the point where people wear their census phones as implants in their ears. So it's like a little filament that you put in your ear, and you can see your text messages, and you can hear things. And uh, one of his daughters, Mary Agnes, is being bullied by a classmate who has altered a pornographic video to include her face, and he keeps sending it to other students and around the internet to humiliate her. And she's really upset about this. And she wants to join her dad in space, which is an option. They said that some family members can come, but her mother won't let her. And then there's a, another plot involving the founders of Census, who are these two brilliant and opportunistic sisters who are kind of locked in a sibling rivalry over the fate of Parallaxis and what must be done to placate their investors because they're way behind schedule. Like I said, when they get there, it's not finished. And then there's also a young social psychologist named Tess who has been hired by Census to monitor the team on the space station without their permission, I might add. She can see through their phones, phone implants and see what they're doing because they want her to create an algorithm that can predict human behavior. And Tess becomes obsessed with her test subjects. Are you with me still? It's amazing. I'm doing a terrible job trying to compress all the incredible and heartbreaking ideas and things involved in telling this story of family technology and the future, but it's just remarkable. It reminded me some of We Are Satellites by Sarah Pinsker, like with the technology and in the future. Some parts were like In the Quick by Kate Hope Day, like up in space. Altogether, it is its own remarkable story of survival in the face of consequences of our own actions. Uh, this book haunts me, and I can't wait for everyone to read it. That is A House Between Earth and the Moon by Rebecca Sherm, which comes out on March 29th. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita de Monte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. 
So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power. Make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. So this book I'm about to tell you about might be the next book talk, darling. It's a high octane fantasy adventure filled with risk, romance, action and sweet vengeance. In it, there are five liars who have five agendas, but only one target. So in Five Broken Blades from author Mae Corlin, the five most dangerous liars in the land have been mysteriously summoned to work together for a single objective, which is to kill the cruel God King June. Each has tasted bitterness, from the hired hitman seeking atonement to the lovely assassin dreaming of freedom, to even the prince exiled for his own crimes. This is a high-stakes game of treachery where the vengeance is sweet, the secrets are delicious, and each page deepens a journey that will keep you guessing until the very end. This also has themes of friendship, found family. You got a little bit of everything in this. Make sure to check out Five Broken Blades. And thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Patricia, what do you have for us? I have South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation by Imani Perry. Imani Perry is the Hughes Rogers Professor of African American Studies at Princeton University and the award-winning author of Looking for Lorraine, The Radiant and Radical Life of Lorraine Hansberry. A lot of people in the United States who are not Southern nor have ever been to the South claim to know about the South. Really, non-Southerners' ideas of the South often end up as a caricature of the region or just uh, rattling off of signifiers like, what do you think of the South? Oh, um, Jim Crow, football, the KKK, Civil War, slavery. And in doing so, it's often with the air of, oh, that's down there, not here. And I, I hear that a lot, like, where I am, as if California isn't real racist, but I digress. Imani Perry weaves a tapestry of the South with threads of her being a Black woman born and raised in Alabama, and threads of the detours and deep dives and encounters with people she meets and places she goes when she returns to explore the region she has always called home. There are stories of immigrant communities, contemporary artists, enslaved peoples, unsung heroes, exploitative opportunists, and so many more diverse people combined with her own personal experiences, ancestors, and anecdotes. Perry not only gives voice and depth to the breath of the South, but offers insight into how the story of the South is the story of America and for this country to move forward, more focus must be centered below the Mason-Dixon line. This book sounds really good and insightful and also a bit heavy, but we'll see. I haven't read it yet, but this is South to America a Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation by Imani Perry, and it is out January 25th. 
I'm really looking forward to that one. I have it on my list of things to read soon. I'm very excited. Yeah, I just got an arc of it in the mail. Like, oh, great. Like last week or something. So That's great. And Patricia, I know you were concerned that maybe I wasn't speaking fast enough. So just so you know, I opened another Red Bull. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I was very concerned about your Red Bull supply in your body. <laughs> so I'm going to need all these words to talk about this next fantastic novel called The Caretakers by Amanda Bester Siegel comes out on April 12th. It might be Seagal. I'm not entirely sure. I'm very sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. I did not manage to find out. But it comes out April 12th. I think, you know, I predicted that Memphis is going to be an Oprah book. I think this is going to be like one of the biggest book club books of 2022. I cannot stress enough how bewitching I found this brilliantly plotted novel about au pairs in Paris. If you liked Big Little Lies, if you like Leanne Moriarty, you will doubly love this book. At the beginning of the book, we learn that a young child has died and his au pair has been arrested. But what really happened? The story then goes back in time with several different characters over the course of a few months in Paris. And it explores their pasts. It explores the events that are going on in the present day. And we hear from one character after another and get a sense of events from several perspectives. This isn't... It's not a thriller. It's not even really a mystery novel. It's an intricate tale of six women searching for happiness and love and working hard for their families and to achieve their dreams. Some of them are running from their past, some are trying to find their way, and some are just stuck in the present. We hear from three au pairs, as well as the mother of the child who died, his older sister, and the woman who teaches French to the au pairs when they arrive in the country. It is absolutely stunning, just I don't say this lightly. It took my breath away. I was just like, wow, when I finished reading it. It's an incredible novel about class and identity and so expertly executed. And I'm pretty sure this is her debut, which is just what? Just amazing. It's so devastating and captivating. I'm going to stop gushing now. It's The Caretakers by Amanda Bester Siegel. My next pick is by an author who I'm I don't know if we've heard from recently. This book is Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Time by Azar Nafisi. Azar Nafisi is the author of the multi-award winning New York Times bestseller, Reading Lolita in Tehran, New York Times bestseller, Things I've Been Silent About, and The Republic of the Imagination. Reading Dangerously is a guide to the power of literature in turbulent times, arming readers with a resistance reading list ranging from James Baldwin to Zora Neale Hurston. And of course, I'm like, a book about books? Yes, please. The author seeks to answer questions like, what is the role of literature in an era when the president or former president wages war on writers and the press? What is the connection between political strife in our daily lives and the way we meet our enemies on the page in fiction? How can literature, through its free exchange, affect politics? And it's not just to answer the questions, but also to give readers a roadmap and make an argument for why, in a genuine democracy, we must engage with the enemy and how literature can be a vehicle for doing so. 
Nafisi pulls on her experiences as a woman and voracious reader living in Iran, being a U.S. immigrant, and her experiences of being a literature professor in both countries. While there are definitely some authors in this book she recommends that I do not personally support reading, like some of them I'm very against supporting, but I also recognize their place in in the literature. I am super interested in Nafisi's take on reading as resistance because, you know, obviously I'm doing the show. I'm a reader. If you're listening to the show, you're probably a reader. And I love the idea of what we do as as a form of protest. It's Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Time by Azar Nafisi, and it's supposed to be out on March 8th. And you are correct. I think it's been like six or seven years since she had a book out. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Now, as much as I hate to do this, I mean, I don't really hate it, but... If I had to pick a favorite book from the first half of next year that I've read so far, it's going to be this next one. Like, I love all the books. I'm sorry, you can't all be my favorite. (laughs) But I'm just going to put this out there. This is probably my favorite book of the first half of 2022. And I've talked about it before somewhere. I think on all the backlists, maybe. I've talked about it a million times on the internet already. It is Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett. And... It comes out on April 12th, and I don't know that I could love it more. I really don't. Annie Hartnett is the author of Rabbit Cake, which is a wonderful debut that came out a couple of years ago. This one is just stupendous. Um, If you've been sitting around going, hey, where is that John Irving novel that they announced in 2017? If you've been looking for something to read, like Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, then hold on to your butts, because this fantastic novel is perfect for you. And, oh, I I just want to go, for like five minutes, and that should be enough. But I'm going to tell you about it, too. So the novel is about a a woman named Emma. She is a young woman born in a small New Hampshire town. And when Emma is born, they discover that she has the ability to heal people with the touch of her hands. Like the children who can catch on fire in the Kevin Wilson novel, you just have to kind of go with this. Emma can can heal people with the touch of her hands, which she does when the nurse... Is who is attending her birth. Uh, she heals the nurse's uh, skin condition, I think, just like being held by her. And her parents are like, well, this is amazing, but she's a child and we don't want her to become some kind of sideshow act. So they tell her that she's not allowed to use her talent. And she's like, okay. So, but they tell her that because she's so special and she has the ability to heal, she should really want to be a doctor. And they keep pressuring her and pressuring her to be a doctor all her life growing up while also reiterating the fact that she's not allowed to heal anybody with her hands. So Emma ends up going to college to become a doctor. She goes off to California to be a doctor, even though she's not even sure that that's what she wants. It's just what her parents want for her. So at the start of this novel, Emma gets a call that her father, Clive, is dying from some mysterious brain disease. The doctors don't know what it is, but he's been losing his memory. He's been hallucinating. He sees animals. He talks to the ghost of a New Hampshire naturalist who died a century, century earlier in their town. He's like a real person. Um, and her father is, is having conversations with him. And Emma's pretty sure that her mother has called her to come home because she wants her to try using her gift. But Emma's not even sure if it still works. It's been so long since she's tried to use it. She doesn't even know if it still works. In between looking after Clive, who is getting harder to manage... And also Emma's younger brother, who is at home from his most recent rehab stay, 
her mother could really use the help. Like, she needs Emma to come home. But that's just a tiny fraction of the plot of this book. There's also a storyline about Emma's missing childhood friend, who the police have written off because of her drug use. Uh, a private plot of land that is used for hunting by millionaires, which is an actual place in New Hampshire. There's this giant forest that is owned by, like, these ten millionaires, and it's nobody can go in it, and very little is known about, like, what's going on in there. Um, it's all very secretive and interesting. There's an expensive fox that her father purchases over the internet. There's a classroom of earnest middle grade students who need a new teacher. There's an amateur theater production, and so, so, so much more. And I haven't even gotten to my favorite part yet, which I cannot tell you about because it's a spoiler. I will just say that the narrators of this novel stole my heart. They are my favorite part in a book full of favorite parts. And it's, this book is sad. It sounds sad. I know some of it sounds sad, but it's so, so, so funny and full of life. I wish, I doubt it's going to happen, but I, I wish that there would be a sequel. I loved it so much. It is Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett, and it comes out April 12th. For my next book, I have Black Love Matters, Real Talk on Romance, Being Seen, and Happily Ever Afters, edited by Jessica P. Pride. Yes, edited by Jess Pride, our fellow writer and co-host of the When in Romance podcast. I am super, super excited for this book. Black Love Matters is an essay collection that celebrates and examines romance and romantic media through the lens of Black readers, writers, and cultural commentators. It is no secret that there aren't enough Black characters and Black stories in romance, whether that be in books, film, or television shows. It is rare that we get our happily ever afters, and I have to admit it's part of why I didn't read much romance for so long because I could never see myself in it, which is extra disappointing considering romance novels generate over a billion dollars each year. Essays in Black Love Matters are by a variety of authors and librarians and academics and reviewers and more. They consider how Black love has been portrayed in media and how that shapes and reflects on them individually and on us as a culture. They also explore the ways in which Black love is not seen and what that can mean again for um, them as individuals and for us as a culture. I think this book is a really important addition to multiple conversations, not just the romance genre. I am really excited for it. It's Black Love Matters, Real Talk on Romance, Being Seen, and Happily Ever Afters, edited by Jessica P. Pride, and it is out February 1st. It's very exciting when one of our coworkers has a book out. I want to point out that there are a couple more book writers who have books coming next year. There is Queerly Beloved by Susie Dumont, which is a fantastic novel. It's, a, it's an adorable romance. I loved it. And also Tears of Price, one of our co-hosts. Her second book in the Jane Austen murder mystery series, Sense and Second Degree Murder, comes out. It's just so exciting, all these amazing rioters. And I'm sure there will be lots more. And now for my last pick of the day, which I'm pretty sure I have talked about somewhere before already because... I read it a year ago already. It doesn't come out until April. Um, it is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. This comes out April 26th. And you probably know the name T. Kingfisher. She has written two amazing, scary books that came out in the last few years. 
the Twisted Ones and the Hollow Places. She wrote she wrote an incredible fantasy novel called A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking, which won a bunch of awards. But this one, this one is my favorite. I know that last last week's show, which we recorded last night, uh, you were talking about the Tamsin Muir, you know, fairy tale book, and I was mentioning this one because of its amazing tagline. And now I'm going to talk about it today because, like, how how can I not? It's just one of the darkest, funniest fairy tales I've ever read. The tagline being, this isn't the kind of fairy tale where the princess marries a prince, it's the one where she kills him. And this book is about a young woman named Mara. She is a shy, convent-raised, third-born daughter who decides that after watching her older sisters be abused for years by an evil prince who is trying to take over their kingdom, she will be the one to save them. Mara and her sisters live in this little, tiny, tiny, tiny kingdom and it's this integral part of who controls the land. There are two warring factions, and there's a little thing in between them, and each of these factions is trying to gain control. And so the um, king and queen of this little tiny kingdom decide that like marrying their daughter to one of the princes will bring peace and possibly save them from being destroyed by this war. Uh, and But the prince is, is evil. And so Mara decides that she's going to save her sisters. And by save them, I mean she's going to kill this prince who totally deserves it. He's bad, like Joffrey bad. He deserves it. But in order to complete her mission, she must first complete three impossible tasks that she is given by a grave witch. The grave witch tells her that if she does these things, she will help her murder this prince. Uh, if Mara can do that, she will free her family and country from this tyrant. I, like, I'm so excited about all of this. But I would be lying if I didn't mention that I am the most excited about the ragtag crew who help her on her mission. There is the sassy grave witch. There is a reluctant fairy godmother. There's a strapping former knight. And there's a chicken possessed by a demon. Let me just say that again for the people in the back. A chicken possessed by a demon. It is as good as it sounds. There's also a dog made of bones who's adorable. It's just so much fun. And like I said, I loved her other novels, but... This is my favorite so far. Um, also, if you didn't know, T. Kingfisher is actually the pen name of Ursula Vernon, who is the genius behind the adorable Dragon Breath series and more. Basically, what I'm saying is that there is a lot of Kingfisher Vernon backlist to visit while you wait for this book, which pff, April will be here before you know it. That is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. Let's add that to my list. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. For my last pick, I have People Change by Vivek Shaya. So, okay, everyone changes. Everyone. I am certainly not the person I was in my 20s. Thank God. Also, I'm no longer an infant. Neither are you. We change our haircuts and our outfits. We change our minds, our names, our labels, our relationships. We are the authors of our own stories. Vivek Shraya is an artist, performer, musician, writer, model, teacher, someone who has deeply embraced change. In this book, she explores her own experience with change over the course of her life thus far. Where did it come from? Who or what influenced certain changes? She explores why we fear it, why we're drawn to it, what motivates us to change, and also what traps us in place and keeps us from changing. Through her reflection, readers are given a guide to celebrating ourselves through all our changes, the ones that have happened, and the ones yet to come. 
We, again, also don't have very long to wait for this book. It comes out January 4th. It's also a pretty compact book, a little over 100 pages, and it's I'm probably going to read it by the end of this month. It's an excellent read to start the new year with. It's People Change by Vivek Shraya. First, you just reminded me that when I was young, I had a t-shirt that said, I don't feel like myself today, maybe I'm you, which is probably <laughs> alarming to a lot of people. So those are some really awesome books that are coming out next year. There's so many more that I wish we could mention. There's Jamie Attenberg's first nonfiction coming out called I Came All This Way to Meet You. Uh, there's the new Hanya Yanagihara novel. There are a lot of amazing sequels. I know you're excited about some. Oh, uh, yeah. First and, foremost, first and foremost on my list is the sequel to Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James, which is Moon Witch, Spider King. I'm getting all these, these <laughs> nouns and adjectives mixed up. Actually, are they all adjectives? No, they're all nouns. They're all See, nouns. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Have more um, Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. But I know there are some that you're excited about, too. Yeah, there are, oh, there are so many. Um, so Bitter is coming out, which is like the sequel or companion to Pet by Ekweke Amezi. Um, Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak by Charlie Jane Anders, which is the sequel to Victories Greater Than Death that came out last April. I just got that yesterday. I'm very excited. Uh, I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this Wicked Fate by Kaylin Barron, which is the sequel to This Poison Heart, which I am just obsessed with. Bloodmarked, which is the sequel to Legendborn by Tracy Dion. And also Fevered Star, which is the sequel to Black Sun. Um, it's the second in the trilogy by Rebecca Roanhorse, which I just finished Black Sun like a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh. So many books. Oh, and I think, uh, what is it? Four Aunties and a Wedding? Uh, yes. Jessie, the sequel to uh, A for the Aunties. Yeah, yep. by Jesse Q. Sotanto. Like, there's so, there's so many sequels out next year. And I'm like, we don't often talk about sequels on the show. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how can I wedge these into my reading time? It's true. I'm like, I have some sick days I could use. From my day job <laughs> to read sequels. Yeah. So those are the books that we are excited about, some of them, for next year. What are you going to read next? Pretend as if we didn't just discuss this totally. know, 13 hours ago. <laughs> totally. Well, you know, I do pretty detailed planning of like what books I'm going to read in what order. So next up, I have What Fresh Hell Is This? Perimenopause, Menopause, Other Indignities, and You by Heather Corinna. And what I'm like, perimenopause isn't talked about a lot. And what I'm learning more by people who are around our age and like our contemporaries is like, why do I have insomnia? Might be perimenopause. Why do I feel like I'm dying all the time? Might be perimenopause. Why do I feel super anxious? Might be like, there's so many things. (laughs) And it's like, this is like the first book I've found that actually tells anyone this like they're totally books about like after menopause and stuff like that but I'm just like oh it's that time and also I feel like I'm dying all the time so maybe it's perimenopause how about you what are you reading Uh, I'm going to read the lost 
Shtetl by Max Gross, which is the winner of the National Jewish Book Award and the Jewish Fiction Award from the Association of Jewish Libraries. Uh, came out last year. I I have not heard of this book. Like, how have I not heard anyone mention this book? It sounds amazing. So it went straight to the top of my TBR, and that is what I will be picking up next. And that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors, who are not Red Bull, but you would think so. Uh, thank you to our <laughs> audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia mostly hangs out on Twitter. No, wait. I mostly hang out on Instagram. Patricia mostly hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I'm mostly on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. Don't forget to check out our full stable... <laughs> our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. I'm so delighted that you did that. Last time when I was like, I need someone to make horse noises, like completely forgetting that those are called whinnies and nays and snickers. I was just like, make horse sounds. And you did it. You came through, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you. Doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for us today. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.